You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to Tell Me How You Did It. I'm Namrata Zakaria and I'm here to bring to you my handpicked list of some of India's finest brands. Yes, our best homegrown companies that can compete with the world's best and still win the battle hands down. These companies range from food, fashion and film to home, art and design. I'm only too happy to talk to the founders who not only chased their rainbows, they also made India proud. Make sure you tune in at hdsmartcast.com week after week to shake the hands that built our best businesses. Listen to them tell me how they did it. If you love coffee as much as I do, then you have to have tried Arakun. It is India's first premium coffee company that is sold extensively in France and much of Europe. It derives its name from the impossibly beautiful Arakun Valley near Vishakhapatnam in Andhra Pradesh. Unfortunately, the area is more famous for its red corridor. It's a highly troubled Naxal belt. But my guest today has managed to traverse that very tricky line between Adivasis who live in and live off the forest, as well as a state government who the tribals just will not trust. He has managed to put together a large-scale cooperative growing high-end specialty coffee. It's come to be among the largest organic coffee plantations in the world. Please meet Manoj Kumar. He's a developmental economist. He's the CEO of the Nandi Foundation, and I also like to call him India's Indiana Jones. Welcome to the show, Manoj. Thank you, Namrata. It's so wonderful to have you talk about the Araku story with me. I wanted someone like you to bring the passion and the fire that the tribal so richly deserve. Thank you. I want to tell you, Manoj, I have no questions for you. I'd rather you interview me because I'm applying for the job of an intern at Araku. Good one. You know, <laughs> the, what what this really makes you to do is I just get questions like this from a whole lot of people. I just send them off to Araku. <laughs> I don't interview them because Araku is an emotion. Yeah. Araku is a passion. Araku is not an Excel sheet and nor is it a PowerPoint. So I tell them, go to Araku live there for a week, meet my farmers, breathe in the fresh air, feel salubrious, get inspired, and come back and tell me, what can you do with this coffee? What can you do with this story? That's how I do. So we actually have had a lot of people. In fact, there is not a single person who's got a job in our company without ever having been to Araku first. It's a mandatory requirement. My bags are packed. You say when. <laughs> I want to ask you, when you first met Dr. Anji Reddy, the founder of Dr. Reddy's Laboratories, uh, this was 30 years ago when he wanted to hire you for the Nandi Foundation. What sort of rural development or agroeconomy did he have in mind? No, so it's important to confess that um, I was in my honeymoon period of wanting to work with rural poor because I had um, stints already with uh, the Development Bank of India, uh, okay. which was 
I was part of the Small Industries Development Bank of India in Mumbai. And then I worked in a microfinance startup in rural uh, Karnataka and AP. And I had fallen in love with the idea of living with poor people and trying to understand their cash flows, how they manage little money and how they stay always happy and how little money can make them come out of poverty. This had fascinated me. Then I did uh, a stint with the World Bank um, on my understanding urban poverty. It's around this time that I decided to switch to a U.S. nonprofit, which brought me close to Dr. Reddy. And he then said, Manoj, would you like to go to uh, a new space where you don't work for the World Bank or a U.S. nonprofit, but for something very Indian? Um, that was the time when Atmanirbhar was not even uh, uh, an idea or a brand. But he came up with the concept that, look, Manoj, I'm a multi-billionaire, proud to have set up Dr. Reddy's. It's New York Stock Exchange listed. I got affordable medicines. But I am a farmer's son. My father had just a tiny bit of turmeric to grow. I'm a product of that. And I always wanted to do something for farmers. So if you can start Nandi, run it, and see if we can do something for small farmers, that will be awesome. And as he got me to agree, he said, why don't we look at this beautiful place called Araku, which he used to fondly call as the Switzerland of the East for its beauty. Um, but completely, the beauty was a facade to the poverty. Yeah. And so he said, can we go there and transform this place? The, I, I had no idea about agriculture. I had no idea of growing coffee. I did not know any of the things that I learned over the last 20 years. But you were younger, really young. And one of the advantages of being young, at least for me, was that you were more brave and more foolish. Mm -hmm. So I fell for this. There was this billionaire philanthropist asking me, can you go to Araku and change the place? And he whispered to me, the good news is nobody will complain if you fail. You'll be forgiven. Now that was useful. You know, you want you want uh, somebody to underwrite failures. Yeah. And in fact, today's youngsters, this is a challenge. They're all scared of failure. You know, all the anxiety that we hear is because of the fear of failure. And he had done this great stuff of telling me, go and fail, fail big. So that's how I started. No idea of agriculture. Everything was taught to me by the tribes and a bunch of experts that I collected on my way. Manoj, Sorry for being, that long answer. No, it's a perfectly long enough answer. But you're being very humble because from those very simple beginnings of coming from a a blank slate, so to speak. Nandi now boasts of an amazing list of investors, you know, directors on their board. There's Michael Dell of Dell Computers. There's Anand Mahindra of the Mahindra Group. There's Chris Gopalakrishnan, the co-founder of Infosys. I mean, you have your own little World Economic Forum party going on here. Was it easy to join these big billionaire names? It couldn't have been. So tell me how you did it. So um, I should say that, again, uh, I was lucky to have joined early on yeah. with them because you you were a little more um, irreverent. Uh, but now when I think of it, it's almost intimidating if I were to meet them first time. You know, it's, 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 uh, these, these are extraordinary 
super global achievers. And um, the biggest challenge is what you realize is they're hungry for creating something new. They're hungry to take challenges. So the real, the real challenge is how do you go to them every other day and keep them inspired? You know, because almost everything you say could be, ah, we've heard that before. Tell us something new. Yeah. Um, so, so that um, is the one real um, sort of fuel that I get. You, you wake up um, and typically you want to see how to motivate your team. In, in my case, I have to think of how do I excite my board? How do I excite these big minds? So it allowed me and my team, therefore, to always having to think really big. We could never go to them and say, we have an idea to change a village or a school. We had to go and tell, we have something that will change this nation. And that's that's what would give you repeated free audience. Um, so the best part is you realize that they have all the curiosity, passion, hunger, excitement, or sometimes I feel even a child of somebody who wants to do something. The second thing you realize about them is um, these are fundamentally entrepreneurs. Yeah. And the beauty about them, one of the things that I saw so deeply is they don't quickly throw in their towels. They, they are like, no, think of some other way to crack it. They, so you get a problem, they just keep letting you chew it you know, it's, and, and crack it. That's very useful. We, we are wired to like, you know, middle-class sensibilities are just about trying, be safe, don't take risks and just give up, you know, stop loss kind of. So these things have really helped. And of course, the big vision. And many of them are fascinated by impact, social impact, and ecological impact. And it's very, very humbling how they will um, step up to be my VP marketing and go and sell the story to someone or talk about it or usher me into another place by opening the door for me. So they have been incredible. I wouldn't have been here without that. Let me put it that way. But how did you arrive at coffee? I mean, Andhra Pradesh is not traditionally known for coffee. It's cotton, uh, rice, maybe even tobacco. Why coffee? So uh, the truth is, when I went to Araku, the the main thing you should realize is it's part of Eastern Ghats. So you have the Himalayas, you have the Eastern Ghats and the Western Ghats. In the Eastern Ghats, what, what was predominant is the ethnicity of tribes. The flora, fauna had already started depleting over the years. Okay. And we the, the forests were getting thin. And when I went there, my initial work was on worrying about Naxals how to ensure that the farmers or the community has something for livelihoods, women dying at childbirth, how to tackle it, nobody going to school. I had no idea about coffee. But after four or five years of working on these themes and befriending them, and I would say, as they told me later, um, after they felt that this guy can be trusted completely, unconditionally, it reached a point when they felt this is done, this, they opened up to me and said that I keep telling them about income and wealth. And they felt that we were talking two different languages because for them, income and wealth apparently was forest. 
they wanted the forest back. I was speaking about cash. And then they started talking to me and said, what we really need is forest. We are okay with just a little bit of cash, but we need our forest back. Otherwise, we don't know how to live. And that's when I started looking around for people who understand biodiversity forests. And I stumbled on my current sort of um, comrade in arms in this, David Hogg, a New Zealander who's been in India for 50 years and who lived in the Palani Hills in Kodai Canal. Yeah. So I, yeah. I kidnapped him, brought him here. Only when we started studying their culture and history, we knew that in 1900 onwards, British were growing coffee in Araku. And this was a coffee growing region in the 1900s. And when they left India, they handed over their large coffee estates to the forest department and they left. So this had characteristics to grow coffee, but the community never imbibed it as a knowledge or culture. Okay. So I said, why don't we do that? Because using coffee and having other trees around it, I can get the forest, but I can also get cash. Only risk was, will the Araku coffee be as good as the Kurguan or as good as Kerala one? That we didn't know. We said forest was our focus, not coffee. It, it's now become both. You know, Mahatma Gandhi, the father of our nation, said that, you know, and I keep quoting this in almost every article, that if the village perishes, India will perish. And it's really heartbreaking, Manoj, that 74 years after our independence, we are where we are. You know, we don't see the poor, we don't see the hungry, we don't know what's happening in our fields, in our, in our villages. Um, we just seem to be counting billionaires and they just seem to be mysteriously adding up. Uh, you know, but the reality of 2021 is that 60% of the world's poor live in India. You know, we, we don't know how to manage this and how we've arrived here. So what do you think the government is doing wrong and what do you think it can do to alleviate it, even begin to alleviate it? Big, big question. Um, you are putting me from a mad social entrepreneur to trying to wear my economist hat. And but this is such a serious situation because, uh, you know, just last week, a study has put us behind many African countries. We're poorer than many, you know, sub-Saharan Including countries. Bangladesh. Well, also Bangladesh, you know. so. But even Africa. It's it's shocking. It's, it's really eye-opening. Yeah. So um, I think luckily 20 years with Nandi and Araku yeah. um, allowed me and my team and my board to be very proximate to poverty. Yeah. That has been one extraordinary blessing of this life of mine. And we are realizing that unless we are proximate to the poor and understand them from their perspective, we cannot solve poverty issues. You know, so the whole criticism about poverty cannot be solved just by copying models from the West. This one angle of it, I agree. Economic models do work. It's worth emulating. But we need to fit it in the Indian context. So when I look at the Indian context, I'm not looking at industry. We, we did excellently in terms of how we developed the IT industry and created middle-class millionaires. We have an IT boom. We are known all over the world for IT. 
and we have these IITs as well and engineering colleges. So there has been one bit of that we did. We have not created hundreds and thousands of patents. Yeah. Uh, we haven't got a Nobel laureate in science, I agree. But we, we have created a cadre of uh, programmers, coders, and managers. In fact, some of the most global CEOs are there. So I need to put on record that we've done some things and let's not forget that. So that's why I'm looking at them. Equally, I would say we have done some tremendous work in the so-called bad pharma world. You know, if you look at it, why I say this is a lot of medicines that we have in India, including the generics and branded, are extremely affordable compared to what it is in the West. I'm not getting into vaccines or anything, just the affordability okay. of medicines. Uh, an ulcer drug that costed so much is available so cheap now, thanks to a lot of advantages we made with process patents, for example. So we have done tremendously in pharma. There have been similar, um, you know, extraordinary progress we have been able to put together. But I think we've missed few buses. And I think we need to probably completely rethink few others. And... One such that I'll focus on commenting is we need to rethink agriculture. We need to rethink food. And they're intrinsic to health and well-being on one hand and rural development and poverty elevation and village economy self-sufficiency on the other. What are the challenges uh, of living and working in one of the most sensitive areas of India? I mean, just a couple of weeks back, there's been another insurgency um, how have you managed to start this Adivasi cooperative in this very sensitive location? So I think authenticity helps and building trust is critical and you need to actually deliver. If you can do these three, you know, we can crack it. So why I say authenticity helps is you need to be really authentic while you are hanging out there. And you need to be completely transparent because there is, there has been, and there is presence of the Maoist Naxal movement even now. And as you said, the right word to use this is this is part of the red corridor. So they are moving all over. They are able to do this only because they are in close association with the locals. And they get information from the locals. They check out who is coming, who is going. And the tribal communities have no choice but to cooperate with them. They're torn between the police or the army on one hand and the Naxals on the other. So they do check on you. Who is Manoj? What is Nandi? What is Araku up to? Why are they here? What is their agenda? Repeatedly, every single villager needs to give you a proper certificate. I love they, this. So they they can be checking with anyone. And if every single person says he's our friend, Nandi is our friend, they're doing incredible work, you get a clean sheet. And uh, that's what we did. I remember early years, a lot of my colleagues were picked up and questioned by Naxos um, to answer, why are you here? What is this? Why is Manoj here? We heard he's from Mumbai. Why is the Mumbai guy here? What's he doing? You know, all kinds of stuff. And they said, no, he's, he's genuine. So I think building trust with the community was important. And that is why from the beginning, we felt we need to create a farmer cooperative. And in fact, our model is, despite working in 75,000 acres 
despite wow. planting 25 million trees, despite creating a big processing unit for coffee, and despite all these things, having pepper, fruit trees, everything, what they know is that there are only five employees of ours living there. And the rest, entire work is done by the tribals themselves. The Rockefeller Center, I think this was last year, has awarded uh, the Nandi Foundation for something for something called the Top 10 Visionaries of the World uh, for its Arakunomics. Can you explain this wonderful term to us? No, I think um, there has been so many nomics going around <laughs> and uh, when we had to put a name for what we are doing, it was too complicated to explain. But everything that we did happened in the Araku region. So we gave it the name Arakonomics. Uh, in simple terms, it, 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 it's a vision for how should everyone have their relation with food. Because our idea was, if this our Arakonomics is applicable to anyone who eats food. If you do not eat food at all, then Arakonomics doesn't apply to you. But if you happen to eat food, then our economics is for you. What does our economics say? It's a treatise which we've perfected in Araku region. It says everyone should ask the following questions before they eat food. Is this food nutritious? Has this food damaged the planet on its way till here? And lastly, did the food ensure that people who produced it are profitable? This is the simple premise. If these three questions are yes, 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 I think that food is fine. Please eat it. But if the answers are negative, then you need to worry. And you as a consumer should raise these questions. This is our argument. And we call this the PQR concept. Uh, that's what Rockefeller, PQR. P is profit for farmers. Q is quality in terms of nutrition and quality for the consumer. And R is regenerative agriculture, that the soil and the ecosystem with its biodiversity, et cetera, fights climate change, doesn't make it worse. So Araku's entire agricultural template, which we now begun to replicate in Varda and, and hopefully plans to take it to Meghalaya. Oh, nice. Is, is, this is what our economics is about. So every cup of Araku coffee you have, you can be assured that the farmers have made money. It has only helped the planet. Right from the seed till here, it has helped the planet. And lastly, it, it has all the ingredients of nutrition that you need. It is in no way going to damage you in terms of pesticide residue, chemicals, or lack of nutrition, etc. This This framework is what we should... It's not about organic. It's not about GMO. It's not about... I think this is the fundamental question before we eat every grain of food. And, and if we can have that, I think we've reinvented living. We have reset. So in Vardha, I read that you are uh, growing pomegranates and turmeric. Pomegranate, turmeric, uh, and red gram. But eventually, That's can I tell a secret? Uh, not Masoor. Uh, it's, it's the red gram. Okay. Uh, not the Thurdal. Uh, maybe it's Masur. My, my, I, I could be getting it wrong. <laughs> but what I want to highlight is what we are trying to prove in Varda, and this is our model in Araku also, it is that we should allow the farmers to grow what best grows in the region, what we call the terroir approach 
our coffee is also like the wine based on terroir. So even in Varda, it's not simply everybody grows cotton and soya bean because somebody came and said so. Not that everybody goes sugar cane because somebody said so. I mean, you will be surprised to know that 95% of the water needed for agriculture in Maharashtra goes only for sugar cane. 95%. And, and wow. sugar cane takes only 4% land. So this is the inequality we're talking about. So if you want to end that, according to me, what we need to see is what suits there. So in Varda, what we have done is, depending on the village we take, we try to identify what best represents Varda. Like we said, Araku, if it is coffee and pepper, and Kerala may be cardamom or coconut. In the case of Varda, we found that, yes, cotton is possible. Citrus fruits are possible. Um, parts of Maharashtra is very good also for pomegranate, but things like onion, red gram, some of the pulses, these grow amazingly. And we found that there is a unique turmeric, which is phenomenal in its properties. It could become a world beater. That's why we're wow. focusing on that. That could be the, the killer one. If, if I'm allowed to indulge in ambition for them, we might even get into cotton because if we can create the world's best organic cotton in Varda, in few years, we hope to do so. Who knows? Tomorrow we'll ask you to cover um, a, a, a ramp walk in New York. We do with Varda organic cotton because it, it won the best cotton award. That's the possibility and potential there. And that could transform everything. Now, most of the worldwide retailers are shifting to organic cotton. Fashion is becoming organic cotton. H&M is changing. Super dry is there's a whole movement for it. Yeah. And they're already sourcing from India. We need to come back to be the, the what was called the Manchester of the world for the right reasons. And it's a possibility. So Varda could become cotton eventually, I fear, or I think, like Araku became for coffee. And, and that would be worth, worth the story to talk then. The cotton story is incredibly tragic because with Maharashtra, with Andhra, it's come to be like our cotton belt has become the suicide belt, you know, of India. But, you know, social entrepreneurship is really the only way I think businesses must be applying themselves these days. It's it's one thing to, but it's yet another thing to make one of the world's best coffees. Please tell us how you've managed to garner the team of advisors that you have, how you've created, um, you know, what is really called specialty coffee. And there has been none in India until Araku came along. So tell us about your quality coffee, the awards you've gathered, all of that. Yeah. So I'll try to say it in, in language that even my tribals understand, uh, because this has always been our struggle to anything technical, we have to break it down into layman's language. So first of all, it's important to understand that coffee world over is grown in large estates. There are few places where it's grown in small estates like Ethiopia, but typically they are large estates. Like in Kurk, they are large estates. When I say large, it will be 1050 acres to 500 acres. If I look at Brazil, Vietnam, so entire coffee production is industrial. There is no artisanal, no small farmer approach, which means they harvest using machines, which means all kinds of coffee ripening stages are merged into one. 
Then machines sort them based on colors. Industrial blowers dry them and huge machines process them and you get a coffee. Well, which will be efficient, cheap coffee for the coffee maker, um, average to poor quality for people who drink it, not at all profitable for the farmer. This is the tragedy of coffee industry. And this is the tragedy of industrialization in agriculture. You want to but something? a cup of coffee, I mean, the high quality standards that it requires to have that sort of global recognition, every cup of coffee, how do you crack that? Yeah, so for us, the advantage was we ensured that each coffee estate we have is only one acre. And therefore, a family manages that one acre coffee, which meant if it had 400 plants in that coffee to say 800 plants, they literally know each of the bush. We call it a bush, each of the bush. And they know literally each cherry themselves because they tended to it, which is very different from industrial. So early on, when I went around the coffee market, I traveled around the world meeting coffee buyers much before the harvest began to tell them about Arapu story and our madness. And I asked them, if I create fair trade organic coffee, will you buy it? And they, many of them said, get out of our rooms. Because they said the world's best coffee is not purchased based on fair trade or organic, but on how clean the cup is, how beautiful the process is, and how each step of it, like shade growing estates, filtered sun rays, appropriate pruning, plucking only red cherries, drying them in elevated platform under sun, using bricks meter to measure sugar for each cherry, ensuring that the cherries are of similar profile like in wine and having terroir, ensuring that they are cupped. This seemed like sending someone to Mars was easier. You know, it was so complicated. And because we had small estates and because I had a poverty and Maoist story, many of them got excited and they said, we will volunteer to come and help you, Manoj. So I ended up having a bunch of world coffee juries, you know, like the ultimate cup tasters who are also buyers to come to Araku every year and spend time with us and guide us on how to make it better, meet the farms, meet, go to their homes, listen to the story. And we converted their coming into a carnival and we converted the process of them tasting and scoring as gems of Araku competition. So we would allow them to cup and score them with the best in the world. And we had to beat the best in the world and they would give that score and we would celebrate it and give huge cash awards. This process with them transformed tribals there to become world-class coffee growers. And we promised them if they made world-class coffee, I'll give them five times the normal market price and as full profits because I'll bear all the cost. So we created a model. Farmers have zero expenditure. Yeah, All expenses are borne by me. And then I give net the price which I give is actually only profit. So we don't have a price. We have minimum support profit, minimum sustainable profit, not minimum support price. This model seemed to work like magic. And that was possible only because... So when you come to our coffee estates during the harvest season, which is from October to February, I encourage you to come, um, be my guest. We will show you that every single cherry 
like a few billion cherries, all will be same red, exactly same red. Now, if you can do at that level with 10,000 estates doing the same thing, you simply make the world's best coffee. These guys do have the perfection of a gymnast scoring 10 on 10. And, and that's the magic. So I give it entirely to them. The rest is easy for us to store at a certain moisture level, to process it in a particular manner with the best equipment, to check for the moisture content and the bricks content. There's, these are all easy. The agriculture and the cherry picking, I think it's the only place in the world where cherry picking in the literal sense of the term happens to its truest form. Yeah. You know, they, so that's the secret. And it's literally tending to it like a child, you know, to, to Spot on. it has that personal touch, right? Absolutely. The best tribute I got is when um, somebody from Paris came and said, you guys, your tribals make coffee like artisans make the Birkin bag for Hermes with that detail. I think that's a compliment for Hermes, if you ask me. <laughs> that's that's touche. Good of you. <laughs> Coffeeology, you've spoken of this term. What does it mean? So what we realized is, um, apart from just creating instant coffee and filter coffee, in India is never known for coffee. We are more known for tea. And when I got exposed to the coffee world from Japan to Korea to Nordic to France, the whole range, Europe, Ireland, America, what, what we really learned is, that there is a whole science of coffee, you know, which I call the study of coffee broadly as coffeeology, which includes agriculture of coffee, which includes the processing of coffee. Then it includes the roasting and brewing of coffee. And then there is a whole serving of coffee. And then there is the food pairing. This whole chain is completely at its very, very primitive stage in India if you look at global excellence levels. That was a very shocking thing. And the ones who were leading the parade or having the podium finish never grew coffee in their country. So it was funny. The guys who grow coffee are the worst yeah. in the world. And that became sort of a challenge. As, yeah. And I saw this as an opportunity. So I told these gems of Araku Juri, you know, help me to develop that in India. In fact, they drew parallel about how in India, the wine industry, understanding wine and knowing how to drink it, wine tasting is also still not right there. No. And how we took a long time for some of these brands to make it in India. They said, in comparison, they felt countries like Chile for instance, South Africa, for instance, grew far more rapidly, either because of the governmental support or because of the kind of entrepreneurship or the regulations. And so they said, if you need to do that for India, for example, they went around the country, and I'm sorry to say this, they said we didn't find on an average world-class baristas. Everyone would just wear an apron and make a cappuccino by pressing a button and serve you coffee. They wouldn't know, by and large, the idea of coffee shops was not knowing brewing processes. They didn't understand coffee body. They didn't understand tasting. You know the coffee cupping? The yeah. coffee cupping, which is like the ultimate in taste. And we, we Indians should, 
be the top experts in taste. We have so much palate taste experience. But in the world, 10 years ago, there was only one judge in the top level. So we, we don't even know how to judge coffee. So we've not exploited this industry. And that was what I was interested in because of Nandi, because of Araku. How can we create a world coffee school? How can we create our own coffee accessories? So we ended up partnering with Anderson and Wall, a cool design duo in Norway. And we invented our own mocha pot. I'm very proud to say I always keep one here. So this is the mocha pot, you know. This is our designer Araku mocha pot, which we sell now all over the world. But getting the mocha pot, getting our own cups and saucers, getting all brewing equipment, which live, I mean, Japan has a tea ceremony. You know, why can't we have a coffee ceremony? We, we talk about table manners. Why don't we have coffee table manners? So there is a whole range of Indian flavor that we can bring in. Our hospitality is famous, but we can make it more global. So we'll, we started promoting what are the right way of agriculture, what's the right processing, how to bring design into it. And now we are focusing on how to expand the coffee knowledge for youth by creating career in different fields. And so we have just started the World Coffee School in, in our Ooh. new cafe in Bangalore, which will also have a separate campus in Araku. And lastly, we felt this is the time to take this philosophy into food as well and move on. But before that, within coffee, we are very keen that people experience coffee differently. And that's why post-lockdown, come to our Bangalore cafe, We'll show you that a coffee place is more than a cappuccino. It could be the place where culture blossoms. So we have a coffee shop, no doubt, but we are the greatest food. But we have a bookstore. We have an art art shop inside. We have a roasting unit. We have a world coffee school. So cafe has been transformed there into a coffeeology experience place. And India needs to embrace coffee as part of a culture where we have aesthetics, design, humility, all felt for that coffee moment. And I believe in this Bangalore cafe, you also have an avocado, which uses the milk from an endangered cow in Kerala. Is that right? Is this it a is vegetable amazing. Cow? You, you seem to have done complete research. I'm blown. There is, there is an extreme. Now all I have is to drink it. All that's left is for me to drink it. <laughs> No, you should come. We also have an extraordinary dessert out of it. So Vechur cow is an endangered cow in Kerala, which had gone down to the single digit numbers at one point. It oh got into God. double digit. And we we have a affiliate farmer and farm in Bangalore where we grow vegetables, where we have this cow also, and it's flourishing. So we, we called um, the cow's milk by the name of the cow and any product we make out of it by the name of the cow as a tribute because the idea of reviving you know culture like this which is linked to um, species of flora and fauna is very critical to our philosophy and that's yeah. why this is there it is by the way again the most nutritious milk you can get so most endangered things are often the best but you are right it is there check out in bangalore Again, come and please but enjoy the place. What's been the response? I mean, I know it's still early days and most of it has been, you know, under lockdown. The few friends or the few visitors you've had, what has been the reaction to this like phenomenon of a cafe? 
So I should say that um, very humbled and we didn't bargain for this because we opened it during lockdown. Yeah. You know, in the sense it was not complete lockdown. It was very hesitant, turbulent times. And we had queue every day outside that cafe to enter. We don't have bookings. So you have to come first, come first basis most of the days. And we thought initially it was the first few days and we thought it is weekend, Bangalore, or as they say, Bengaluru, overwhelmingly responded to this. Because if you walk into the cafe, you feel you're confused whether you're in Stockholm or New York. Because there are Nordic elements and there is a New York feel. But yet you feel quintessentially warm Indian feeling. So this this extraordinary melting pot that we created itself has been a tremendous excitement. Our furniture is out of the world. We have a uh, a New York architect who collaborated with um, an Indian architect. So we have Jorge Zapata from New York and Shonan Trahan from India. I know both of them. Shonan runs lab work and uh, Jorge is Mr. Mahindra's son-in-law, right? That's right. That's right. So both of them collaborated on the concept of showing the entire story there yeah. in a way that it is global, clean lines, furniture curated. We then applied the principle of looked around the country for extraordinary designers, Yeah. got their furniture, got their pieces, got their elements included. So we have a whole range of minds that you will see there. Then we have a curated bookstore. So that space in itself became an excitement. Second, we have the best coffee. We have the best equipment. We have a mod bar, which is the only one in the country. You need to come there to experience it. It's it's like a, a coffee judge told me it's the Ferrari in coffee machines. Um, I teased him and said, yeah, but the first electric Ferrari maybe. Because, because <laughs> the coffee is so climate change positive that it is that. So well there is coffee, there is great food. We we roped in someone um, who's famous for Mask and um, Aditi Duga, who runs Mask yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Sage yeah. and Saffron. So she she curated the entire offering there. And she is, uh, she's created an extraordinary menu by bringing together a team. All the food is traceable. Everything in the cafe is organic. And it's like Michelin star style the way we serve, the way you get the portions. This is not there in Bangalore or any part of the country. It's not even there in any other city. So we changed cafe experience to be what you can call as an affordable Michelin star for all. Uh, And yet, inspiring. Manoj, all good luck and all kudos to you. This has been the most inspiring and educative interview I've done in several years. Thank you for your time. And it's been wonderful talking. Thank you so much. All I will say is, please come to Arapu, get inspired, and also spread the word about Arapu Cafe after you experience it. Both the times, happy to host you. Thank you. Most certainly. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show or not, write to me on Instagram, Twitter, or Clubhouse at Namritasitara. You can catch the video podcast on the Lifelin channel on YouTube. For updates on Tell Me How You Did It, follow us at HT Smartcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. 
to listen to more podcasts log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno naye nazariye se this was a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast